Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And yesterday was a very strange day. The Green Bay Packers hosted the New York Giants in the wildcard playoffs at Lambeau Field. And we all know the history between Eli Manning's Giants and the Green Bay Packers. And yesterday began very similarly to those previous two games. And after about a quarter and a half, it looked like we were set for another playoff disappointment at Lambeau Field. And then miraculously, both sides of the ball completely switch. The Green Bay Packers got on a roll that we've seldom seen of them in the playoffs. And they end up winning by a final of 38-13. to And Matt, believe it or not, that was the second most lopsided win in the history of Lambeau Field in the playoffs, second only to the 37 to nothing beatdown of the Giants in the 1961 NFL Championship game, and second to the Falcons' uh, playoff win in 2010 as the best in the McCarthy era. And so I would never have thought... I would be saying these things at about 4.40 yesterday when the Green Bay Packers looked completely inept, and then a tidal wave uh, came and washed away the Giants and their boat party. Yeah, you're basically that much better than a team for a half an hour and, and four seconds. That's I mean, that's when you put up all your points, and mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, for this first quarter, you're like, oh, no, they've... The Giants have completely schemed our offense back into being the 2015 terrible Packers offense. Aaron Rodgers is completely out of whack, and their defense is completely shutting us down, and our defense looks just miserable uh, and lucky to have only allowed six points. And somehow, some way, I guess much like this Packers season, to turn it around <laughs> yeah. into something like that. And, and as I'm looking at the score right now, like you said, kind of in shock that that's actually what it was, um, to have that big of a turnaround from... You know, that point in the game on is incredible, and it was an awesome win. And to think they did it offensively without Jordy Nelson. He got hurt when they were still sputtering on offense, and he, we thought, was the main reason why they were so poor last year, and him getting reacclimated is why they were poor at the beginning of the year. And they lose Jordy, and then the offense comes alive. And, um, man, it's... It's just crazy, and uh, we'll get into the particulars in this, but especially the way that the Giants have completely terrorized the Packers in the playoffs and uh, potentially cost them two championships in recent years. Um, I don't really hate that team like I hate Seattle. Odell Beckham irritates me, but I don't know how anybody could really be that upset with Eli Manning and Ben McAdoo might look like a pedophile but I don't really have anything against him <laughs> but yeah, you just get mad at the Packers when they lose to them I agree I don't necessarily yeah. eat Eli or anything no exactly but still it was incredibly satisfying and especially when the Giants were such a trendy pick and it seems like those um, you know I don't buy into the the super east coast uh, media bias I, I don't think it's um, I, I think it exists, but it's more because they're more familiar with the East Coast teams because they're in close proximity. They talk to those guys more. It's it's not that they hate us Midwesterners, but it uh, is always fun to kind of stick it to those guys, and especially in such a dominating fashion. Um, would have been one of the only times if I were available during that time of day that I, I wanted to see what Skip Bayless would have said yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely did not get a chance to tune into that today either, but it, it does feel good. It's so satisfying, and I think... 
I think every Packer fan was super uneasy about this game. And um, just like you said, with the history and just knowing what this Giants team is and seemingly a good matchup, they've got an elite receiver that could torch our secondary and a good defense that might be able to stymie us. Um, and to get that satisfying of a win, it doesn't feel much better in the playoffs. You usually don't get that kind of a win in the postseason. No, definitely not. And the Packers are a franchise that has a rich, rich postseason history. And uh, I just was like, wow, that's a, that's a big margin. And so I looked that up today, and yeah, second only to Vince Lombardi's first championship, the most lopsided win in uh, Lambeau Field postseason history. And it, it feels like every game we've played, and I know there's been a couple here and there, but it, it, just, it just feels like every game we've played in the playoffs for the last eight years has been extremely close. And um, it's other than maybe the Joab Vikings game, I can't think of a whole lot that where it was the, the third and fourth quarter and you're like, just put your your arms behind your head and just relax and watch the rest of the game. Yeah, not since the uh, snow game with the the Ryan Grant game in 2007 when uh, they fell down 14 to nothing to Seattle and then pretty much steamrolled them from that moment forward. Yep. Let's talk about both sides of the ball, but I got to start with Aaron Rodgers because he's been getting a lot of the praise today um, and rightfully so. One of the things that I wanted to research is Aaron Rodgers played so well yesterday. And I looked it up because it was incredibly cold yesterday. The wind chill, I think they said, was minus 2. The actual temperature was uh, 14 degrees. And a lot has been made over the years about Tom Brady and Brett Favre and even Aaron Rodgers about how effective they are as cold-weather passers. Well, in the NFL, there have been 78 games, or I'm sorry, um, there has been 78 teams that have played in a playoff game where the weather was that cold. So uh, let me do a quick math. That's 39 games. So my little spreadsheet that I have has uh, both, like for yesterday, the Giants and the Packers. Um, Aaron Rodgers' passing performance for net passing yards is the highest in the history of the NFL for a game uh, in the playoffs where the temperature was below 20 degrees. There's only been four 300-yard team passing performances in that cold of weather. Um, And Aaron Rodgers yesterday eclipsed Joe Flacco in Denver in 2012 when he threw that bomb to, I believe it was Jacoby Jones at the end to win. And um, the best one in Packer history prior to that was Brett Favre with 319 yards in the win over Seattle, but that was an overtime game. And so as well as Aaron Rodgers played yesterday, the statistics are incredible in and of themselves that they were played in a dome, uh, 25 of 40 for 362 yards. That's almost nine yards a pass attempt, which is what he averaged in that amazing 2011 season. Four touchdowns, no interceptions, 125.2 passer rating. But I think we forget how cold it is in Green Bay. Nobody in the history of the league put up that many yards, and he's the first guy to throw for four touchdowns in uh, 20 degrees or lower in the playoffs. It was incredible. It's the best cold-weather performance in the history of the playoffs. Which, again, in the first quarter, it looked like he was just going into a shell and wasn't going to come out of it and throw for maybe 20 (laughs) yards passing that game. Yeah, And it completely snapped back into what he looked like against Minnesota and Detroit, and I was afraid we wouldn't be able to see that quite to that extent against New York. He thought he could still get some stuff done, but the receivers weren't even that open a lot of time. He was fitting the ball into as tight a spots as you can. So like you said, with Jordy being out, but it almost didn't really matter with how on he was from the second quarter on. Mm -hmm. Even the Hail Mary, I mean, Randall Cobb didn't have to do a whole lot for that. It just happened to drop like a miracle right into his breadbasket behind the defense. Mm -hmm. Um, Every pass was just spot on for the most part, and he is just so on fire right now. It's incredible to watch, and it's 
it's just hard to imagine that guy losing right now. And it was one of those occasions where we, me especially, but both of us, have really gotten frustrated with how often he just stays in the pocket forever over the years. And yesterday, they pretty much decided that they were going to play him the same way they played him in 2011, and that was they were going to rush him with four guys, and they were going to drop seven in his own coverage and try to make him hold the ball forever. And kudos to the offensive line for playing an incredible game. But Joe Buck, I forget after which touchdown it was, but he said basically the perfect word, Aaron Rodgers is fearless. I can't imagine staying there, standing around. He got sacked a few times early, but... Maybe I don't appreciate it enough, having never uh, stood in an NFL pocket with a target on my back, but to have him hold the ball that long and to actually make something of those plays, I think that really turned the tide, and once he was able to do that a couple of times, that made the Giants' defense a little antsy, and then he started hitting that quick stuff against the zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and it seems like McCarthy was able to kind of scheme out of some of the things that they were just completely shutting us down with early, too. I think that helped, but... I mean, just from an accuracy standpoint, it just it seems like it clicked halfway through that second quarter, and it just didn't seem like he was going to miss the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Just all these lasers off of one foot, hitting deep balls perfect, just whatever he wanted, just taking it. It was awesome to watch. Yeah, I, it, you wonder what the turning point was, because what did they have? Like, after the Giants were up 6 to nothing, didn't they have like 20 yards of total offense? Yeah, there was a point there where they had like 6 net yards, I think, around that time. And maybe it was just, uh, didn't he hit a deep bomb to Devontae Adams on that first touchdown drive? And, and maybe that's just kind of what settled him in and realized that uh, they were going to be okay. Um, maybe we should talk about uh, Randall Cobb. So he had he had been injured for several weeks. He had only his second 100-yard game of the season, but five catches, 116 yards, three touchdowns, including a 42-yard catch. And he had the big Hail Mary catch, which was fun because uh, we were watching it here. And right when they're lining up for it, I'm sure a lot of people thought this same thing, but I'm like, that Hakeem Nix caught a touchdown at the end of the 2011 game in the left corner of the left end zone on TV, and I said that right as he snapped it, and then probably 10 yards to the uh, other t- towards the middle of the field from where Hakeem Nix caught that and really gave us that feeling of, oh crap, we're going to lose this game. It almost was the inverse, like, oh my gosh, we're fine, we're going to win this game. And uh, I think that obviously turned the tide, but big clutch catches in the second half too that weren't so fluky for Randall Cobb. Yeah, and I, I I remember specifically when Jordy went down. I had this thought that run through my ran through my head, and you're like, "Well, at least Randall Cobb's healthy. Maybe he can step up." And I almost remember like kind of chuckling to myself, like, yeah, "That's <laughs> not going to happen. This guy hasn't showed up or you know overperformed when needed for about two years now." And I just had no faith in it. And then what do you know? You know, he gets for 116 yards receiving and that big play. Um, so a huge performance from him, obviously. And on that Hail Mary, too, um, you know, as they go into that play, you got to think, like, normally in a Hail Mary situation, there aren't other options the team has to throw it down the field. I was thinking to myself, we still have the option to throw to the flats with six seconds left. So that's kind of a hard play to defend because you have to at least honor that. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, we've been hitting these Hail Marys in desperation with everybody back there. I was like, man, if they can do it with that... They should have no problem with a couple of corners having to maybe shadow up a little bit here because you could still get into field goal range. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure enough, they just there was just as many Packers in the end zone as there was Giants. And then somehow, like a miracle, they all missed it as it was falling down out of the sky. So um, <laughs> I I can't believe that he's hit three of these in the last year's time. It's just unbelievable to think that that's possible. Well, and I was trying to think to myself if anybody had ever hit two and... I think Brett Favre had like one in his whole career. I, I he hit Freeman 
when Freeman was kind of bumbling around in the back of the end zone to end the first half of the game at the Bears in 96. Uh, that's the only one I can remember. And I had all them Brett Favre uh, touchdown videos on uh, YouTube, so i pretty familiar with most of Brett Favre's touchdown passes. So, I, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of any others. I know, gosh, you would assume that Manning and Brady and all those at least would have one, but to have three in a year and even three in a career is might be unprecedented. You've, you've got to think at this point they're kind of leading to each other a little bit. I mean, the Richard Rodgers one was a great catch, but then, you know, the Cardinals see that and go, oh, gosh, and then they handle the coverage wrong. And then, the you know, yesterday they, they've known that we've hit a bunch of them, and then the the coverage is just so strange on that, how they let a receiver behind them, nobody notices. They're almost so worried about the front of the end zone catch or something um, that they just let somebody sneak behind them. So it's just almost yeah. making it these defenses are getting – timid and a little scared we're going to keep doing it and because of that it seems like we keep doing it well if you read any comments from new york giants fans or fans of teams that are rivals of the packers randall cobb pushed the whole pile 10 yards forward (laughs) and then caught the ball and if that wouldn't have happened the giants would have uh, scored four touchdowns and one in the second half of course and not only is he not physically capable of doing that (laughs) i don't even remember him putting his hands on anybody back there he used his hands a little bit um it was very subtle um but I don't think it was worthy of a call, and and they didn't call that game very tight anyways in the secondary, and it's a Hail Mary play, but to your point about them building off of each other, they they definitely do, and Richard Rodgers beat them by trailing in front of the pile and catching a tall looping pass, and... The Cardinals, seeing what happened to the Lions, they didn't want to rush three guys, so they blitzed him with six or seven, and Rodgers escaped anyways and threw it to one-on-one coverage with uh, Jeff Janis and Patrick Peterson, which seems like it would be pretty good for the Cardinals, but um, uh, Janis was able to make the play. And then yesterday, they're like, well, we're not going to let him get in front of us with Richard Rodgers, and he throws it over the pile Mm -hmm. to to Randall Cobb. So I I don't know what other variation of a Hail Mary is left, but I'm sure he'd find one out uh, sometime in the rest of his career yeah maybe even still this postseason let's get another one oh i'd rather just steamroll everybody for oh i guess at the end of the half you could do it (laughs) but uh the running game not a whole lot to speak of um although christian michael was kind of a burst he had uh 10 carries for 47 yards uh the ty montgomery i still like him back there and he does some nice things but um i have a feeling that that talk of him becoming a full-time running back next year is a little bit premature yeah, and I mean he's he's really and kind of when we talked about him potentially being your primary running back, it's it's would be nice, and he's got some great skills, but he's more that guy like a Reggie Bush or something that he can make plays happen big time, but he's got to get some space. And when you're playing a defense like New York, um, or you know if you end up running into Seattle or New England or whatever, it's it's really hard to get that initial space, which is why a guy like Kristen Michael, who's just a bolt of lightning through the line of scrimmage, and is basically the complete obvious opposite of a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who's patient. Yeah. He just, I mean, straight through no matter what. And um, I guess you know that kind of works against a team like that, where if Montgomery's dancing around a little bit trying to do his spin moves and make guys miss, it's just not going to work, and it didn't yesterday. Yeah, I, you make a great point about him. Is he just kind of smashes into the pile, which I think this running game needs sometimes, as we've had the James Sarkses of the world just kind of getting happy feet in the backfield, not really picking a hole. But, yeah, I, I could see Ty Montgomery with a really nice uh, career as a Darren Sproles type. Mm-hmm. Um, and imagine if Eddie Lacy gets a prove-it contract for one year next year, you have Christian Michael. So then you have two legit, um, one who I know we all are disappointed in the way Lacy's 
uh, had seasons the last two years. One, he was overweight last year, and this year he kind of was injured but played well when he was there. But this guy has shown that he's a really good running back when he's motivated and when he is made a feature part of the offense. And if you get him back and then you have Ty Montgomery for your third down guy who's proven that, um, get, as you said, given some space, that he can still bust off some big runs as a running back, um, that's going to really add a new wrinkle to the offense. Yeah, I mean, and Heck split the carries into thirds, and you might see a guy like Lacey get motivated and try to get some of those carries back, and you've got three diff- distinctly different styles. I mean, that's basically, I mean, think back to Najee Davenport, Fisher, and Amon Green. I mean, yeah. it's a very similar combo to that. So I, I think if you can get something like that and keep all those guys around for next year, you're sitting pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really good point. So um, I guess I don't want to talk too much about next year because we still have potentially exciting uh, 2016 conclusion here, but... Um, one thing I did want to discuss is Mike McCarthy was getting killed a little bit about that fourth down and one that he went for in the third quarter, and I believe I texted you in time for you to see it before the play started that I wanted them to go for it. Um, I didn't want Mike McCarthy to choose the play on the play sheet where none of the uh, linemen get any push and uh, uh, they just get blown up in the backfield, but what did you think about that call? Yeah, I uh, I did not like it from the get-go, and I'm not just saying that in hindsight. I mean, when your your defense is holding them and you've got the momentum and you're in your own territory, I, I feel like sometimes McCarthy in the last year and a half is getting overly aggressive at times just because of the criticism a little bit, yeah. and I think that was way too aggressive when you're winning, and I, I didn't like it at the time, and then it blows up in your face. Um, maybe you feel confident with your offensive line, and you probably should, and... Um, but uh, yeah, they got blown up on that play. What do you do? I just I don't think that was a good risk, and luckily it didn't kill him. Yeah, I I didn't like the play call at all, and I've criticized them on here too for throwing too often on the third and ones and fourth and ones. But they've been horrible this year at um, they've run the ball okay considering the the uh, the conditions that they've had to run the football under. But on the flip side, you have a large number of running plays that either lose yardage or gain no yardage, and the way Aaron Rodgers was playing, if you do decide to go for it, I, I don't know why you don't put it in his hands. Yeah, or, I mean, I think a lot of the criticism is probably that you chose the one of the three running backs who would probably be the number three on your list of guys you want in short yardage when you've got Ripkowski and uh, and Kristen Michael running so well. He's, yeah. you know, the smaller, more shifty guy, and I don't know if that would have made a huge difference on that play, but you never know. You know, Ripkowski might have been able to plow through there, so it, that was mm-hmm. a little strange. Well, and maybe... Bad play call aside, it blew up in his face, and then either one or two plays later, Eli Manning throws a bomb uh, to, who was that? I think uh, King uh, caught that one. And then it's 14-13 against your arch nemesis at Lambeau Field, the guy who's taken down two of your best teams in the last 10, 20 years. And for this team who has collapsed so many times in the playoffs to just brush it off, like, yeah, no big deal. We'll just go right back down the field. We'll score. We'll get the ball back. We'll do it again and again and again. Like, that is so out of character for what we've seen out of this team in the playoffs under McCarthy that you can't help but get a little wide-eyed and excited about what could potentially come of this season. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point because that is the trigger point normally in years past of when things fall apart and now everybody's complaining about that call today for the next, you know, six months that why did McCarthy do that? We had the momentum and they blew it because of that. And we don't have to do that today and luckily everybody's gonna forget about that is because somehow this team rebounded and it Almost, they got scored on and it catapulted them into a into blowout mode, and they just crushed the Giants after that. It's mm-hmm. completely opposite of what 
we expected. And I thought after that happened and that Giants scored the touchdown, I'm like, oh, gosh, you're in trouble now. Yeah. Um, but it was not the case, and uh, they managed it well. I think that's a, that, you're right. That's a really good sign for the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, we've been talking a lot about the offense. They, they definitely deserve it. But just as remarkable as that complete turnaround of the offense was the defense. And we texted after that second drive, and I, I don't think you were being sarcastic, but we seem to agree that this team was in deep trouble because the Giants receiving core, who played one of their worst games of the year, they have some tremendous talent on that team, but everybody was open on those first two drives, and it just didn't seem likely that Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard and Victor Cruz and those guys were going to drop passes for four quarters. And it just felt like the beginning of a 2011-type game where Eli Manning breaks out of his slump and the Giants score 30 points. And I think you texted back to me that Aaron Rodgers, who was playing terrible at the time, unless he somehow scores 30 points, we're going to lose this game. And after that second drive... It Demarius Randall and the other DBs and some of the pressure up the front or up 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 front, they just completely flipped the switch and all played much much better the rest of the game. There were still a few open guys, but for the most part, people got locked down. There was more of a pass rush. There was great tackling by Jake Ryan and the linebackers when guys did catch the ball. It was unbelievable. You're completely right, and I, game ball for me to Ladarius Gunter. I, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I can't believe that that guy, Odell Beckham, has been unstoppable all year long. And granted, he got open a few times and dropped passes, but for him to basically shadow him the whole game and do that, what it was like 28 yards or something like that? Yeah, 11 targets, 4 catches, 28 yards with a long of 11 yards. Yeah, so you may have found something there if nobody else can cover this guy in the league and you've got an undrafted free agent who's in the league for, what, two years that unexpectedly can do it. That's pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think overall, yeah, this defense stepped up. Peppers made a play. Clay Matthews made the greatest play in the history of football. (laughs) That was so awesome. (laughs) But, I mean... This is one of the most unpredict. It is the most unpredictable Packer team I can remember. But overall, one of the more unpredictable NFL teams I can remember that, in, during the course of a game or a season, can just flip switches or, or Aaron Rodgers or this whole team. It's the weirdest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen these things leading up to this team for three years that we're like, oh god, this is trouble. And all of a sudden, middle, midway through this year, seven, ga- six games left in the season, boom, switch flipped. Rodgers is back. Team's great. In the postseason, you're you're down and you're struggling. Switch flip. The defense all of a sudden in the middle of a game turns it around. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the weirdest things I've seen, and it's it's good that a team can shift momentum as much as they do and kind of turn things around. But I, they're so unpredictable, and it's hard to fathom these kind of shifts during the season in games. How was the team that was capable of whooping one of the best defenses and dominating an 11-win team in the second half of yesterday's game, capable of being down 21 to nothing against the Tennessee Titans after six minutes of play. Yeah, and basically not looking like they wanted to show up against an average team. And you know, whether you're showing up or not, you don't get your doors blown off against that team. It just <laughs> Yeah. And then even the the following weeks when you had everything to play for, just still couldn't do it. The team looked like it was in complete disarray. And mm-hmm. to now be this team that it looks like the 2013 Packers again, and before that, they look just as good as any of those teams. It's remarkable. Yeah, and I think if anything, it's just a reminder that these people are not Madden sprites and that they're human beings. And I think it's easy for us to, to get as fans to get wrapped up in that and even with all this boat talk I wasn't planning on talking about it at all because I think it's a really stupid controversy but um, 
you see all the comments like, oh my gosh, how were they on this boat and why weren't they watching film? And it's like, well, why are you not focusing on your job 100% and have time to comment on this boat story, you lazy worker that's filling this out? I mean, these guys can't just be football 24-7 and they aren't just robots who go out there and follow their assignments. And the difference between a team that is fearing for the worst versus a team that goes out there and expects to win is enough when you have such even talent that you can really start to sway the results of ball games. Right. Okay, so um, I don't know. There, there wasn't much else that I, I really wanted to mention. I know you thought that um, Mike Daniels played like Warren Sapp yesterday. Yeah, that first, even when the rest of the team was down, I thought he really picked him up and carried him for that first quarter and a half when everybody else played like garbage. He was blowing up the offensive line on every play, getting in the backfield. I thought that was amazing. And l- luckily later in the game, he didn't have to carry him as much, but he played really well. Yeah, he did. And uh, I will mention, because uh, other our, our sister will get mad at us otherwise, Jacob Shum played a great, great game yesterday. He, yeah, he did. He did. He definitely outplayed the Giants punter. And really, in the first half of that game, that was a pretty big deal. So not to understate that. <laughs> yeah, it kind of uh, helped because they were losing the field position battle pretty uh, badly. And uh, his punts were at least tr- giving the defense a little bit more room when it looked like they were going to need it. Yeah, and, and wing for the Giants, not to break down punting too much. But I think he <laughs> had like, at one point, he had like five punts netting like 33 yards or something. So if, if you win a tight, close game like that, if you can win that battle, like, that's actually a big win. And we saw that yeah. same thing in 2010 when the Packers uh, and Mass Day were just dominating people with punting. Yeah. And um, I mean, if this continues to the playoffs, that's definitely not to go understated. That's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, well, I, I guess now they won't play another cold weather game. The rest they'll be indoors the rest of the way, probably. Um, I, I doubt Seattle is going to beat Atlanta the, with the way they've been playing. <laughs> um, and then Bobby Rainey makes the best uh, play ever, fielding the ball and then trying to keep his feet in bounds. Almost, uh, <laughs> I mean, that was such a bizarre play. Yeah, that was. We've seen a couple of plays the last few weeks. There was the one um, in week seventeen. I, f- I forget which. There was the Bills that uh, Mike Gillisley that let that ball sit in the end zone on a oh, kickoff. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> and then that one yesterday. It's just man, you, you hate to be too critical of these guys <laughs> because when the, the bullets are flying in your live action, it's hard to think as it is when you're sitting on the couch watching. But I'm just like, what is this guy doing? Just running <laughs> towards the sidelines, and it's a thirty-six net change in yard. It's just an absolutely stupid play. Yeah, that's awesome, though. It's, uh, yeah, really, <laughs> really strange play. And I suppose we should talk a little bit more about that Clay Matthews play. And did he actually get credit for two fumble, forced fumbles in the same play? I didn't see the stat line today, but I don't see why you wouldn't, because it was, I think it was a recovery in, um, by the Giants in the meantime, unless they're saying he never had full possession. Uh, Pro Football Reference has one fumble force for Clay Matthews. So, ah. so that would have been the greatest play in history, statistically. A sack, a force fumble, or two force fumbles, and a fumble recovery. But I wanted to highlight this, and I'm not usually one to try to boast our guys are better than your guys, but you saw the, I can't even remember who it was, but who lowered his helmet right into Jordy Nelson's ribs. Um, and I know, know it's real fast, and it wasn't a... Uh, uh, it didn't look that egregious, but he definitely lowered his head, and it was bad enough that they just released today that Jordy Nelson spent the night in the hospital because of how badly he got hit. And then in the earlier game, you saw um, Bud Dupree clearly lower his helmet right into the jaw of Matt Moore. And then you have Clay Matthews on a play like that where a guy's not even suspecting it, and he comes over, 
And like a eighth grade bully, he squares him up, but then super uh, cleanly knocks him to the ground and just knocks him on his butt and then picks up the ball. It was not only was it a smart play, it was a safe play, but it was still mean and nasty and it got the job done. Right, and in that kind of a touchy of a situation where you felt like they were ready to throw a flag, and even though I thought it was a live ball and I wanted him to hit him, I thought that they still might throw a flag for whatever reason just because nobody seemed to know what was going on. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a good play. We've seen Clay do some kind of beyond-the-line things over the years, so that was pretty awesome. You mean uh, giving a reverse DDT to Colin Kaepernick out of bounds was not a classy move? <laughs> not, not so much. Yeah, so maybe I should preface that that play – was Clay Matthews being smart and safe. But, yeah, I guess his reputation doesn't uh, lend itself to him being that type of individual. Yeah, you probably picked the only dirty player on the Packers for that example. Well, I don't know. Mike Daniels uh, might have yeah. something to say about that every now and then. But uh, whatever. It's I guess it's football. It's I, I think of that when I hear boxing announcers talk, when they bemoan all of these guys getting in trouble outside of the ring and like, wow, what, what can boxing do to stop these type of incidents? And nobody ever uh, thinks that perhaps a sport in which the goal is to beat someone into unconsciousness or till they cannot continue might be uh, appealing to aggressive, violent people more so than uh, gentle people. And I guess uh, defensive football is probably in that category. Yeah, it's hard to be a boxer if you aren't an overly aggressive human that's great at punching people. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so the Packers now are moving on to take on the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I would imagine that the Cowboys are a favorite, but I would expect that line to sway towards the Packers' direction. I, I don't expect them to be favorites when they go to Dallas, but I, I think a lot of people would likely uh, give Green Bay their fair chance. Um, I don't see the line here, but so this game, the Cowboys decisively beat the Packers 30 to 16 back on October 16th, but uh, I, I, maybe I'm just being a homer and I'm uh, drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit here, but the, I think the Packers have a very legitimately good shot of winning this game. Yeah, I completely agree. I, this is the matchup that I wanted and I was hoping that you would see Seattle win so that we got it, although they're one seed and they had a great record. I think you match up a whole lot better against them than you do Atlanta. And really, I mean, if with the way Rodgers is playing right now, we know that that defense has been covered up for Dallas all year long by that offense and the ball control. So if you can somehow find a way to get up a touchdown or two early and then you're forcing Dak to throw it out rather than you know letting them just push people around and run all over you, which they probably will if they have the opportunity. Yeah, yeah I think that they've... They've got a great shot. I I wouldn't pick them against Atlanta, but I at least like our chances against Dallas. Well, and one of the articles I read today said the Packers just dominated a defense that is much better than the Cowboys' defense. Mm -hmm. And so there's that. It's going to be perfect conditions, and it's scary. I don't think they can stop Ezekiel Elliott. But if the offense plays well enough... I don't think you're going to have to because we've seen Jason Garrett and look no further than the 2013 comeback win is he'll be gashing a team and if he's afraid of your offense and all coaches are like this, especially offensive minded coaches, if the Packers score and let's say they score quickly or have a methodical drive and even on the next drive, if Ezekiel Elliott's getting six yards of carry and Dallas ties it and then the Packers get the ball back and score again. I think that Garrett, he's going to toss out the run game because if you're afraid of the other team's offense, even if it 
in a vacuum doesn't seem to make any sense. I think that fear takes over that we need points and we need points now. And then you put your the ball in the hands of your 23-year-old quarterback to try to match a Hall of Famer who's playing the best he's played maybe in his whole career, throw for throw. Um, I think that could be a recipe for disaster for the Cowboys. Yeah, you're right. And it's you understand it too because you don't want to be the team that runs and runs and runs. You're three and out when you're so scared of another team's offense that they're just going to put another touchdown up on you. It's just natural to feel like you got to sling it around a little bit. And obviously, I think anybody would take Aaron Rodgers, even with a limited receiving core, uh, throwing the ball as opposed to Dak with you know Witten and, and Daz and things. Mm-hmm. I think everybody takes Rodgers there. So if you can somehow negate that running offense, I think. Their defense is basically a wash, I think. You know, yeah. our, our pass protection is great. Um, their offensive line is good, too. But I think if you can get Zeke and that offensive line run blocking out of the game a little bit, you've got an awesome chance. Yeah, I mean, even if you're looking at that 2013 game, I had to get up the stats for that because Aaron Rodgers is a whole different animal, and he's playing as well as he's ever played. But once Matt Flynn got in a groove in that game, so this is a game that Dallas led for all but, like, one minute of the game when they actually lost it at the end. And Tony Romo threw 48 times, and DeMarco Murray ran 18 times for 134 yards, and they refused to use him in the second half because Matt Flynn and Eddie Lacy and Jordy Nelson had gotten their head that they couldn't stop him and they needed more points. And imagine what that's going to be like when Aaron Rodgers is out there. Right. Now, granted, the flip side of that is if you start the way you did on Sunday, you're, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> you're in big trouble. against them, they're pretty much screwed yeah you're in big trouble so uh, there's a path to victory granted Dallas has many paths to victory as well um but uh yeah it's it's definitely uh, a brighter hope than you normally have as the road team in the divisional round where the home team tends to win about 75 percent of the time mm-hmm. okay um so let's talk about the other games that occurred this weekend, and I made a comment on the Facebook page that I wanted to get your opinion on, in on Matt, and I think this is a strong candidate for objectively one of the worst weekends of playoff football in the history of the National Football League. You had just a terrible Oakland-Houston game, uh, Seattle and Detroit, Seattle wins by 20, basically sleepwalking through the whole thing. Miami and Pittsburgh, I didn't get to see a whole lot of it, but I saw the stat line that Matt Moore completed 80% of his passes for 300 yards and they still get 12 points. Like, how the heck does that happen? Turnovers. Every time he got into the red zone, he was fumbling and throwing an interception. He looked great from uh, in, in their side of the field or even into the, the opposing 30, but as soon as he got there, he coughed it up every time. So Philip Rivers' uh, career the last five years, basically? Yeah, yeah, that game was, was pretty rough to watch, too. This is, you know, just killed him like three times. I don't know if you got to see that Bud Dupree hit yet. I did see that. That's one of the only plays I saw in, uh, live, but just a miserable week, and we were fearing that before, but... Um, and then Roger Goodell comes out either Saturday or Sunday and is like, yeah, we want to expand the playoffs probably to seven someday. And uh, if the AFC playoffs would have had a seventh team, it would have sent the Matt Castle-led Titans to Kansas City. That might have been the best game of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree. I don't want another team with what we saw this weekend. But, uh, yeah, you get Tennessee and Washington or Tampa in there, that would have maybe even helped the playoffs a little bit. Get Detroit or Houston or somebody out of there. Yeah, Tampa at Atlanta would have been the other NFC game. That wouldn't have been so bad. Yeah, uh, but here are some other weekends. Uh, so by far, this was the worst wild card weekend. So the average margin of victory 
was the most in the history of the uh, four-game wildcard format, so it was a 19-point average margin of victory. Um, that edged out 1996, which had a 17.5 average margin of victory on the wildcard weekend. Um, there are a few divisional round uh, weekends that are worse in the history of the league. So this is since the merger, and I I consider a playoff weekend when you have four games. So I didn't include those way back in the day when there were two wild card games and then um, all three division winners got a bye. So I just included those four. So the ones that were worse, there was a 20... Uh, 0.75 margin of victory in 1993 um, that had almost no points scored in any of the games, but it had a seven-point game between the defending Super Bowl champion Redskins at the 49ers, so I think, yeah, that's you at least get one good game out of four. Um, and then a couple other ones that have a close game, but here is what I'm going to say is perhaps the worst playoff weekend ever, and, and I'll see if you agree with me. It wasn't yesterday. It was 2005 in the wild card round when you had the Mark Brunel Redskins defeating the Chris Sims Buccaneers 17-10 to in a horribly boring game. Then you had the Patriots beating the Byron Leftwich Jaguars 28-3. to then you had the Steve Smith Jake Delhomme show at Eli's first playoff game 23 to nothing and then you have Pittsburgh 31 to 17 over Cincinnati when Carson Palmer got hurt on the first play. Yikes. Do you remember that weekend at all? I do. Yeah, I remember watching a lot of those games. Um yeah, I don't know. I it, that's probably just as bad and I we're looking at on a, this being so fresh, but yeah, I think you just felt like maybe some of those teams were better than some of the teams we had this week, but I, I don't That's know. That's fair. Yeah, and, and even, I think the Bengals stuck in it for a while against Pittsburgh, but yeah, I mean, if, if Jacksonville, I think, was 12-4 and four that year, gets crushed by New England, you're like, well, at least it was two good teams. It's not quite Brock Osweiler versus Connor Cook. Right. Um, so we'll have that. I'd love to hear, uh, I know a lot of you uh, that listen have a great knowledge of NFL history, so I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on what you think was perhaps the worst playoff weekend in NFL history. I was trying to decide what the best one was, and I think the best one I've ever seen from an objective standpoint was probably the divisional round of 2003 when you had the Panthers beating the Rams in double overtime on the Steve Smith uh, slant from Delhomme. Uh, you had New England beating Tennessee in like 100 degree below zero weather, um, 17-14. Then you had that no punt game between Indianapolis and Kansas City, 38-31. Uh, but I don't think I could ever select this one because it was capstoned by the 4th and 26th game. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it, that, it was obviously a tight game, so that, that probably would go there. I can't think of much better, but... That obviously sucks for Packers fans <laughs> that weekend. Well, yeah, it's, that's what I'm thinking about. I, I always think of that when the Packers make the playoffs. Is they, it's it's. I guess it's good for a fan, sort of. Uh, maybe if you haven't followed this team or you don't have your heart set on this team, that you wouldn't quite understand what it's like. But the the only way Packers lose playoff games is in devastating fashion, and it might suck to watch your team lose thirty to nothing or lose like the Dolphins lost yesterday, but. Uh, you've never lost in overtime after getting a Hail Mary twice to tie the game or to have a 19-7 to lead with three minutes left and lose that way. Um, yeah, it's maybe I can see it objectively exciting, but holy cow, it's uh, those, those games are, we've talked a lot. It, it, it's easier to lose 30 to nothing than it is to lose the way they, the Packers mm-hmm. lose all their games. Yep, for sure. 
All right, so let's briefly touch upon the other playoff games that are coming up this weekend. So it starts with Seattle at Atlanta on Saturday afternoon. Uh, what do you like in this game? I definitely think I like the Falcons in this one. I, it was good to see, I think, for the Seahawks to see their defense step up a little bit, and I, that Lions offense was pretty punchless, but that Seahawks defense has been giving up points to pretty much everybody lately since Cyril Thomas went down, so... Maybe that's a benefit, but I I don't see how they slowed on that Falcons offense. They've been playing so well, and the Seahawks are still, um, I'm not real impressed. So I'll go Falcon, I guess. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you there. Um, although Matt Ryan is not exactly the greatest uh, playoff quarterback in the world. Um, yeah, this Seattle, I just don't think, even if the Falcons struggle offensively, I just don't see how Seattle can hang with them with their offense the way they played this year. Mm-hmm. So one thing I did want to mention, I was trying to find a stat or a way that I could prove if this were true or not, but the NFL always gets touted for its parity, and I think in the free agent world, now that it took maybe 10 years to sort out free agency, and now the teams that are wise with free agency and are really good at drafting and developing are kind of the teams that are emerging, and so now we're left with eight teams the Patriots have been in the divisional round seven straight years. The Packers and Seahawks have each reached the divisional round six of the last seven years. And all four of the games that are being played have been are rematches from playoff games that have happened no longer ago than 2012. So parity is kind of a myth in the NFL right now. Yeah, and... and- but Doofus is like Miami and the, the Browns and Washington that can't seem to figure this out no matter how much they probably realize draft and develop is the way to go. They just can't help themselves come free agent time and just never, ever make an appearance. Yeah, and when they do, they get absolutely blasted. So, All right, uh, the night game, uh, it's not even worth watching probably, but uh, Houston at the Patriots. When they were there in September against Jacoby Brissett, they lost 27-0. to zero. Uh, What <laughs> what chance do they have against Tom Brady? <laughs> uh, it's not much, obviously. They Brock Osweiler actually hit some throws against the Raiders. I know that defense is pretty bad when it's not carried by a good offense, but still, I mean, you have to be... I like the fact that he showed a little accuracy, but with uh, a Bill Belichick team with two weeks to prepare for this and and Brady motivated as as hell to get another championship and take a trophy from Roger Goodell I can't imagine they fall asleep against the Texans um I would definitely say probably by more than a couple touchdowns I think if Brady gets hurt on the first play I still think that the Patriots win by a couple of touchdowns yeah um Brock Eiswater's delivery where does that rank amongst the all-time worst deliveries it's it's one of those weird ones. It's definitely uh, up there to, with like the Kyle Bowler push and things <laughs> like that. It's it's not good and it doesn't work. But I don't, I don't know if nobody's <laughs> trying to change it or he just like absolutely can't throw when they try to change it. But it's strange. Is it up there with the Tim Couch? My arm looks like it's dislocated every time I throw. <laughs> the rubber arm. Yeah, that's that's the good word for it. Yeah, he negates all of his height advantage by throwing the ball at like his waist. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. That's a good point for somebody who's what six seven six. Eight. Yeah. I think with an over-the-top delivery, you'd have a big advantage, but to like do a sidearm, you might as well be 5'9". <laughs> yeah, well, uh, not to go way back for the Packers, but uh, Anthony Dillwig, who was the Packers' uh, 
quarterback when Mikowski was hurt in 1990. He was like 6'6", and he threw the worst sidearm ever, and he got more passes knocked down than Scott Tolzien because he negated all of his height by throwing it so low. It was really stupid. All right, and then on Sunday, we have actually a good matchup. So the Pittsburgh Steelers going to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Ben Roethlisberger caused a stir by coming to his press conference with a walking boot on, but apparently he's going to be just fine. And uh, they take on the Kansas City Chiefs, who... Pretty much their entire reputation in my mind is that Kansas City with a first round bye equals a Kansas City loss in their first game. And it doesn't seem like it's going to get easier facing Pittsburgh, who I think a lot of people think is the most dangerous team in the AFC, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm torn on this one. I think it's probably going to be the best game of the weekend, and I think Kansas City can hang in there, but it's hard to pick against Pittsburgh when we just saw what they did. Um, Miami's defense isn't great, but they look, made them look like they weren't even there. Yeah, and um, they're all rolling. Le'Veon Bell's playing great, so I just can't see them losing. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's really tough. I'm, I'm like holding against the current Chiefs the way Steve Bono and Elvis Gerbach played, which is kind of a stupid thing to do, but. It's the same type of team that plays yeah. really close to everyone and plays really methodically. And Pittsburgh just completely pulverized them earlier in the season. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to take the trendy pick as well and, and pick Pittsburgh in this one. Um, although Pittsburgh is not one for – or uh, they're not uh, uh, foreign to laying an egg when they are expected to win either. Yeah, and the one thing you can say about this Pittsburgh team is they've – had games this year where all of a sudden that offense doesn't show up, no matter how talented it is. But at the last, whatever, six, seven games, they've been on fire just like we have. So it's hard to see them slowing down. Yeah, they've had almost the exact same season as the Packers, but they only fell to four and five rather than four and six before they started blowing everybody out. So, uh, yeah, they're on a eight-game winning streak right now. Um, yeah, I'll take them. And what do you feel about the way Pittsburgh plays in the playoffs? And so I think last year everybody came down hard on those Bengals for being dirty, which they've earned that reputation themselves. But Pittsburgh has had chippy games with the Packers, with the uh, Broncos, with the Bengals, with now Miami. Um, there's one common denominator in this that uh, has all these games going really uh, in a weird direction. And so... You wonder what Mike Tomlin's telling these guys. Well, that along with having Joey Porter on your staff, who just got arrested last night, I think. Oh, and, yeah, and, he did. Know, Mike Munchak, who's yanking guys down on the sideline. It's just definitely the it's it's definitely the environment they're putting around those players to be nasty and to be this you know the Steelers linebacking core that they've had forever. Um, I'm definitely sure that it's something that they've talked about. It kind of a Jim Schwartzian type thing, I think. Ugh. That when the intensity gets pumped up, I mean these guys are getting nasty and they're hitting hard. Yeah, I forgot about Joey Porter. Or, yeah, they called him Jerry Porter on the uh, radio. So um, <laughs> poor Jerry Porter, the guy he's just wanted to have a small career with the Raiders, and now he's getting accused of beating up Dorman. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I guess he got uh, given an infinite, not infinite, indefinite leave of absence from the Steelers. So um, I, I guess he probably deserves that. Yeah, he's infinitely arrested every once in a while. <laughs> Did he get in trouble that much when he was a player? Like, he seemed like a jerk, but... Like Terrell Owens, it never seemed like he was in trouble with the law or anything. I feel like I remember him getting... I, mean, I know he was suspended at one point. I don't remember if it was substance abuse or something like that. But I remember... I've heard the story about how he got shot at his own wedding or something like that. And just kind of as a nutcase in general. <laughs> that reminds me when we were trying to dis, uh, remember what Marvin Harrison did. And we got all the way up to he was sh- shooting at people. And so maybe we shouldn't speculate on <laughs> this. This was actually true, though. He got shot at his own wedding. Look it up. I'm pretty positive <laughs> on that one. 
<laughs> he, he got shot at or got shot? He got shot. <laughs> okay, I definitely have to look that up. Oh, man, yeah. What a nice guy getting shot at his own wedding. Must be real popular. Who does it, though? No, that's true. That's, that's tough to avoid these days. All right, and then um, we speculated the Packers have a real good chance to beat Dallas. Um, do you think they will? I'm going to pick them. I guess I'm probably drinking the Kool-Aid, too, and being a homer here. But I, I'm looking at the upside of this, and I just – if this is a, a punch fest and we're going back to back and forth, I kind of like what we've seen from our quarterback as opposed to counting on two rookies to get it done, I guess. So, um, man, you, you could see them getting blown out completely in this game. I, I don't think there's any way that they blow the doors off of Dallas, but – I just I like it, and I think that they're going to put up more than 30 points against this Dallas defense that I think, like I said before, has been kind of hidden behind a good offense all year. So I'm, I'm going to probably over-optimistically pick the Packers. Yeah, it's so hard to win as the road team in the divisional round. And you could see, like you said, them coming in there and getting beat just like they got beat earlier in the season at Lambeau. But I'm going to agree with you and... I guess in the grand scheme of things, who who cares if you're wrong? But this offense is just playing so well, and they had been criticized for maybe not criticized is the word, but they their offensive output in the six game winning streak had been questioned because they hadn't played any good defenses, and that offense of the Washington Redskins was playing really well, and they got stonewalled by the Giants, and the Packers torched the Giants, and they're going to have to find a way to start faster on the road. Um, one thing that's nice is it seems like that Jerry World has not been that great of a home field advantage for, for Dallas through the years, because so many road fans are there, and it's such a comfortable experience, but y- you don't win on the road a lot in this round, but you also don't go very deep in the playoffs with two rookies as your most important pieces on your it football never team. Happens. Yeah, never. That never happens. And... I just think that if Aaron Rodgers is able to keep this up and put some pressure on this team who has failed in a lot of different areas, also hasn't been in the playoffs for a year, uh, they don't have as much experience as the Packers do in this area, I think this game could get out of hand. And you, if the Packers get to 30, like you said, I think they definitely win. Let's hope. And I mean, you just beat, you blew the, blew out the Giants who were the only team to beat the Cowboys know twice during the regular season when it mattered mm-hmm. so I and mean, that's gonna look good too I mean that Giants defense completely stymied this Dallas offense and you just put up a ton of points against them do you think we can use the Giants defense though on Sunday maybe maybe they'll let us borrow they're not they're done right I mean yeah. why not <laughs> yeah come on you should be able to do that raid if you beat a team in the playoffs you should be able to raid their roster uh just for the rest of your playoff run Right, but you, but you you at least game plan to do what they did, right? I don't think that they're too over talented in personnel. I think our defenses are fairly similar in that way. That if you can do some of the things that they did that worked, I mean, why not? Yeah, I I, I think it's definitely possible. All right, um, I did post the question on Facebook, and uh, we got a response from our great fan Daniel Johnson. Uh, asked uh, what he thought of the game yesterday and what's in store in Dallas. He said he was disappointed in how we started the game. It was good, though, that when New York cut it to one point, they were able to play with some urgency and score on four straight possessions. There were some times where we lucked out with the New York receivers dropping passes. That sequence in the third quarter that led to the New York touchdown was bad with the play calling on third and fourth down. We have an actual running back on the team and didn't give him the ball in that situation. I think that the game in Dallas will be tough, but we'll play a lot better than we did last time. I am worried about the 
status of Jordy Nelson for this game, but hopefully it's a non-factor like it was for much of the game yesterday. I think we can beat them, but the game the following week at Atlanta slash Seattle will be tougher. I also think too much is being made of the Giants partying on a boat. I don't think it's why they lost. It's just an easy scapegoat. No need for Bob McAdoo to make his players walk the plank over this incident. So I like the walk the plank pun at the end. Um, Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that, although... It's hard to say because if Seattle would beat Atlanta, it's you obviously would get some new information. I'm not worried at all about the Packers going to Seattle. I, I guess I am, but I, especially of a team that would have come off beating Atlanta. I, at this point, I don't think they're a great team, and they're definitely the weakest that we've seen the Seahawks team, but if they can somehow shut down that Falcons offense, I, I'm a little more scared, and especially with the playoff history, obviously, too. Let me amend that, because I tend to go too strong on my first uh, utterance of these things. <laughs> I am far less concerned about going to Seattle than going to the Georgia Dome. Yes, I do not want to go to Atlanta, so I will be rooting hardcore for Seattle. Okay. Well, it would be nice to get that opportunity regardless of what it is. Um, this season would be a tremendous success if they went to the NFC Championship game after starting the season 4 and 6 and playing as badly as they did. Um what was the other thing? Yeah, I, I I guess we don't have to talk too much on it, but one of the things that's going around now is Elliot Wolf has interviewed for the San Francisco 49ers job, and there's a rumor going around that Kansas City, for reasons I can't possibly fathom, has not yet extended the contract of John Dorsey, so he could walk if he wanted to, and if Ted were to step down, which there's no indication that he will, John Dorsey apparently is very interested in the Packers job, and he could come to Green Bay without any sort of compensation going to Kansas City. Hmm, interesting. It's, that w- it would be kind of fun. I mean, the, the 49ers have interviewed basically everybody. It sounds like they're interviewing like Theo Riddick from ESPN and a whole bunch of other dudes, so... Weird. I don't know if the threat of Wolf leaving is great, but you would imagine having coming from this organization, he would at least give him a little heads up and give him the opportunity to retain him. Yeah, but I mean, the Chiefs to do that, maybe they're they're getting the uh, the benefit of the doubt to Andy Reid and him being the reason for the success. But this is a franchise that's been terrible for four decades, and <laughs> for them to let the you know the the guy go who's kind of built that roster would be shocking. Well, they haven't been terrible for four decades. They were they were okay in the '90s, but they clearly capped at a level that was below championship. Well, they haven't won a playoff game since 1993. It's not like they've got other than the '70s. Well, they don't have a great history of success. Hey, they they beat Brian Hoyer's Texans last year. You better give them that. Um, but yeah, you're you're right uh, to to dismiss this guy, and he's done it almost completely through the draft outside of Alex Smith. So, um, but yeah. Screw you, Kansas City. If uh, We'll take your GM if ours decides to go home. That'd be right. fine with me. All right, so hopefully we have a much better weekend of playoff football in store. Uh, there's several really good matchups, and while some of them might be a little bit repetitive, three of the four have the potential to be very good games, and hopefully we're back here next week to talk about... Another Packer game coming the following week. So if you'd like to interact with the show, you can do so at uh, the Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast. You can tweet at us at Green Gold Forever. That's the number four. Uh, hit us up on our Podbean page, which is where we have uh, all of our archives online, as well as uh, some blogs that we've written uh, over the years. And that's 
uh, greengoldforever.podbean.com. Uh, the easiest way to listen to the show is on a mobile device. You can follow us on iTunes, and uh, if you're so inclined, rate us and uh, comment on that as well. Or, which is probably my favorite way to uh, keep up with the show, even though I, I am on the show, so usually I hear it as it's being recorded, but if you want to follow it in another way, um, you can do so on the Podbean app, uh, which you can download on an Android and uh, Apple device and follow us on there. The benefit of the Podbean app is that you get our complete archives all the way back to 2012, uh, completely free of charge. On iTunes, it's capped at just the most recent episodes. So um, follow us on any of those areas and uh, let us know what you thought about the show. And uh, Matt, real quick, who's going to win tonight's national championship game in college? Uh, I think Bama rolls. All right, I think you're probably right. Although I'm really. Let's hope not. Yeah, let's hope not. Um, let's just hope it's not a dreadfully boring game like every of the semifinal games have been since the college playoff uh, was invented. Right, no 23-3 to nonsense or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Give us some something to uh, at least keep us up until midnight when this four-hour game will probably be over. All right, so uh, on to Dallas. Uh, thanks for listening, and hopefully we have still some more exciting play from the Packers left in 2016. Take care, everyone.